Welcome to Mission Winnow Presents Powering Innovation, the podcast that looks at the technology behind the racing in MotoGP. On today's episode, we're going to look at aerodynamics and some of the devices that we've seen on motorcycles over the last couple of years. It's probably the most interesting area to look at because this is where the teams spend most of their budget. This is where they really focus their development. My name's Steve English, and as ever on Powering Innovation, I'm joined by Alberto Nasca. And Alberto, we've got tons to talk about in this show. What's the one thing that you're excited to look into? Yeah, hi Steve. Hello everyone. Welcome to this show. Yeah, the aerodynamics probably is the is is it's not actually the most interesting thing. Maybe yes, maybe not, but it's the most actual because it's the most new it's the newest one, okay? For example, if we think about car racing, we've seen aerodynamics since many years. For I'm talking about wings, while on motorbikes it took quite longer to see wings on the motorbike. And you know, the the reason is simple. That's because the car, it's a bit easier, okay, to, to think about comparing to the motorbike. Because if we think about the car, the car is two-dimensional, okay? It doesn't link like the, like the motorbike, okay? While the motorbike, you know, in order to corner, you have to lean. So it's quite complicated to think about wings, the way they behave, the way they produce downforce. So yeah, the aerodynamics is one of the things that uh, make passionate people discuss the most about during the last years because it, it was the, the, the clearest innovation. It's something that you clearly see immediately on the bike, while some, some other devices, like the whole shot device, is not something that you see immediately, okay? Yeah, it's, it's amazing when you look at it, Nasco. You said it there, Formula One's been using aero for decades. The first wings in Formula One appeared in 1968, but we had to wait until 2014. And the, the first wings that we saw came from Ducati, and it was always interesting with aerodynamics because when you spoke to Gigi Delini at that stage, he always talked about aero as being like a genie in a bottle. Once you understand it, you need to have it, and you need to make sure that you're able to take advantage of it all the way through a motorbike design. And when you look at MotoGP bikes now, we've moved away from the sleek shapes that are there to reduce drag and increase top speed to now everything's angular. You're looking to try and generate as much downforce as possible in lots of different areas. Yeah, exactly. Because when you talk about aerodynamics, uh, you have to usually think about two uh, big topics, which is drag and downforce. Okay. So if we talk about drag, Drag is when you have some part of the vehicle which is opposing resistance to the air, okay? So you want to reduce it as minimum as, as possible in order to have a faster vehicle, okay? But on the other hand, you have downforce. So wh what is the idea behind the downforce? The thing is that the grip of the car, of, of the bike, is made by the tires, okay? So the more the tires stick to the ground, ideally, the faster you can get into the corners, okay? So one principle of the grip is that the higher the pressure that the tire has on the ground, the higher the grip. So the more you push down the tire, the more grip you have. And this is something that you can think about if you, if you recall when you were at school, okay? You were drawing with your pencil and you had a rubber to erase the paper. So if you don't put pressure to that rubber, you don't erase the pencil on the paper, okay? So that's, that's the idea. And this is the idea, the idea behind downforce. So when they invented aerodynamics, that was because they realized that if you can use the air that comes toward the vehicle to push the vehicle down to the floor, to the ground, you can get more grip to the tires, okay? So this is why in cars, especially in Formula One, we have seen downforce being applied since i don't know maybe 40 to 50 years i don't remember w w which was the first car equipped with wings 
Because it's easy, the car is always flat, it just turns the steering wheel and the car turns, so it's easy to get downforce. But on the bike, it's super complicated, because the bike is never in the same position, it's always changing. So it took so many years to understand uh, how to properly use the downforce on the bike and how to take advantage of it. Yeah, I think the first time we saw it was, as I said, 68, and it was just a case of really tall wings, very similar to actually what we saw in MotoGP initially, and then they evolved very quickly. And it's interesting, Nasca, you made the good comparison there between using an eraser or a rubber just to try and correct your mistakes and that feeling. I'm a, I'm, I never made mistakes whenever I was doing my homework, so I never <laughs> needed to use the rubber, but uh, it's a really good comparison. And I think one of the important things as well when you're comparing MotoGP and Formula One is a Formula One car can generate, I think it's six times its own downforce now, so they generate 6G. And that means that they can stick to the ceiling. They can run upside down through the tunnel in Monaco. A MotoGP bike, on the other hand, is a very different story because it can generate 13 or 14 kilograms of downforce with their wings. And the goal is very different. It's not about trying to generate load to get around a corner faster. You've got to be able to use the top speed of a MotoGP bike. And you've then also got to be able to control the wheelie. And that really is the area where they focus mostly on with the development of a MotoGP bike air in, in the aerodynamic package. Yeah, exactly. Uh, if we think about more bikes, the ideal goal is to get the highest speed possible. Okay, Because, for example, think about the Formula 1. In these years, the, the top speed decreased. And this is crazy if you think about it, because it, uh, logically, you, you may say that the faster the car, the faster the, the, the lap, the lap time, okay? While on the other, that's because they invested so much in generating downforce. While, for example, in the more bikes, they, they tend to, to get the highest possible speed. So the idea is to reduce the drag. And so you're wondering, people is wondering, why? Dude, are they, uh, are they developing downforce on the more bike? The main idea is, what you said, is to reduce wheelie. Because the biggest problem of the MotoGP bikes is that they have too much power for their weight. They are overpowered, and I, I've never seen uh, a close-up to the to a MotoGP telemetry. But I'm guess that since uh, until fourth and fifth gear, the, the electronics is cutting power because the power is just too much. Okay, and the thing is that if the bike wheels, it cannot accelerate because until the, the the front wheel is not touching the ground, you you cannot apply 100% power to the rear. So yeah, the downforce is mainly used to, to keep the front wheel down in every situation, on the straight, on the accelerations. And yeah, some teams also use it in corners. I mean, if you if you give just a bit more grip to the front, you're more able to corner. And another important thing, another important goal of the downforce is to keep the bike stable. And this is something very important because the more stable the bike, the easier it is to ride, the the easier it is to on the tires, the less tire consumption you get, the, the less tire wear you get. So yeah, that, that's basically the idea behind aerodynamics in MotoGP. Yeah, and it's interesting, when you talk to riders about it, you could talk to Andrea Davizioso on the Ducati over the last few years, and Davi would always talk about how it gave him more force to brake with, it would give him more braking stability. And then it possibly was a case of overloading the Ducati as well for Davi because we always heard him locking the front. That was a big issue for him. So it was giving him that force on the corner entry. And then when you look at someone like Bradley Smith at Aprilia, he always talked about how it was really useful for being able to control the wheelie. And that was the key area for that bike to try and generate some of the downforce. 
with KTM, you'd hear their riders talk about how it would help the bike just to turn as well. So you really could tailor it in any number of ways to be able to get the most from the package. And I think that, for me, is the most interesting thing about the aero. And I think a lot of it comes down to, for the teams, the deciding factor is you still need to be able to use the top speed of a MotoGP bike. A MotoGP bike has now on 300 horsepower. It can do 356 kilometres an hour. That's over 220 miles an hour. It's the length of a football pitch every second one of those bikes can travel. And I think that for the teams, they're very hesitant to give up that top speed to try and generate more performance in the corner. So it's interesting to see the balancing act that the teams have to try and generate performance from an aero perspective, but how they don't want to give up their performance from an overall lap time. Yeah, exactly. The the speed that you mentioned is something insane that... The first time that I hit 300 on a motorbike, it felt like going to hyperspace. And I cannot imagine what it feels like to be at 356.7 kilometers an hour, which, as you said, is one football field per second. I mean, it, <laughs> it takes me 20 seconds to run a football field and I'm slow. <laughs> I cannot imagine how it feels like to, to do it uh, in one second. And the other thing that we need to think about when we're talking about the aerodynamics is that in Formula One, for example, you can you can change the we, the wings angle, so it's a, it's an easy setup change that you, you can make between sessions. For example, when they change tires, they usually change the front wing. While in the MotoGP, you have a more strict regulation; you can have just two aero package for the whole season, so you you cannot do as many tests as in Formula One. So you really need to be careful on what you're doing with the wings. So probably that's why they they they're not exaggerating the aerodynamics because you, you you cannot have many many tries during the season and also another very important thing is that in car the the driver always keeps the same position he, he sits he's stuck to the, the to the seat and he he cannot, he cannot move why for the riders they we're talking about different size, different weights, different way they move on the bike. So, for example, if we, if you take two equal riders, okay, with the same height and the same weight, they might be they might need a different setup just for the style they used to ride. Okay, so can you imagine how different? Can you imagine how difficult it is for the engineers to to properly study the setup, the development, the aerodynamics? if the rider makes such a big difference. Yeah, and I think that's one of the interesting elements that goes into trying to develop these packages as well, Nasco. Because as you said, if a rider sits on a bike slightly different, they might weigh the same, they might be the same height, but suddenly the centre of gravity of the bike can be completely different. If you look at the riding style of... I think Alex Rins is probably a good example of because he's evolved his style an awful lot over the course of the last few years. He had been a bit more upright on a bike. Now he's trying to get himself leaned over the inside of the bike a lot more. Johnny Ray in World Superbikes is actually probably the best example of it because he brings a real motocross style to road racing. And, and it's interesting to see how a team has to try and develop a package around the style of those riders. Because if you were to think about just where the weight goes when a rider is more on the inside of the bike and they're leaning down, they're using their elbows on, on the corner. Suddenly, that weight is then a lot lower than if the rider is a bit more upright, uh, you know, an old school Mick Doohan, Kevin Schwantz kind of style of sitting up on the bike. 
And the team have to be able to develop a package based around where that rider is going to be on the bike, that centre of gravity. And that's one of the real challenges. And I think that's also one of the reasons why you see teams develop their packages in different ways. They're looking for different goals. Yeah, exactly. And it's something that you cannot simulate on the wind tunnel because in the car, you just put the car in the wind tunnel, okay? <laughs> you turn on the fans and you see how much downforce is generating. You, you, you monitor the way the air flows. While with the motorbike, the motorbike leans, the motorbike brakes, the motorbike changes the, 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 the drag according to the, to the rider. So I, I would never want to be one of the aero engineers that have to develop the MotoGP aerodynamics, really. I don't know. The money's pretty good for an aero engineer now at this stage in MotoGP. And I think that's one of the key areas where we're seeing that focus really shift. And it's interesting, like you said there, Nasca, just about how that is going to happen. But you mentioned a couple of moments ago about the aero packages that you're able to have during a season. Obviously, in MotoGP, you start the season with one package and you're able to bring in an aero upgrade through the season. Very different to what we see in other championships, especially the likes of Formula One, like you said, where even with the drag reduction system, they change their they change their aerodynamics on the track in a live system. You can't do that in MotoGP. So you really do need to develop your package and tailor it perfectly. And this can be an area where teams make mistakes. It's a bit like if you think four or five years ago, teams went the wrong way with their engine development package. Suzuki did it a couple of years ago and it really set them back for the full season. Obviously, since then, they've been able to win races on a world championship by correcting that. But you couldn't make a change mid-season. With the aero, you can bring in one upgrade package and you've got to make sure that you hit all your marks with both of those packages through the season. Otherwise, you just give up too much performance now. Yeah, exactly. And also, uh, we were talking about the drag. Yeah, it's not just about downforce. It's also about making the fairings in a proper way that they do not generate too much drag in order for them to penetrate the air better. And we've seen, in, for example, in some street motorbikes model that new models made the motorbike three to five kilometers an hour faster on the straights. So also this is something very important that they need to think about and they need to develop. And we've mentioned talking about the aerodynamics, how important it is for the bike not to wheel it that much. And if you cannot do it with the aerodynamics, if you cannot do it with the electronics, I mean, you can, but every time you cut the power, you're losing speed and it's not good. Another good solution that they thought to, to prevent the bike from wheeling and to make the bike more stable in corner exits is the whole shot device, which is something that we've seen recently applied in MLGB more bikes. And it's something that you, you actually, you don't see it. Okay, maybe you, if, you, if you have a very trained eye, you can see it working by the way that the suspensions work in the corner exit, but it's not something as visible as the wings, okay? But it's something super important because it's a solution that you can either implement in the front fork or in the rear suspension. And the idea is to move it downward and forward to to be to make the bike more stable and to prevent the wheelie. And this is something, Steve, that we've seen working in the last years, which is which was very important. Yeah, and I think it's definitely one of those key areas now because a MotoGP grid is closer than ever. You look at one second can be the difference from front to back of the grid. So being able to get any advantage, especially in the first couple of hundred meters of the race, is absolutely crucial. Ducati were one of the first manufacturers that brought in the whole shot technology. They gave it to Jack Miller in, I think it was 2018 in, in Buriram. And 
suddenly we saw all the other teams having to develop their solutions going forward. And it's an interesting technology because it's been around for a very long time in motocross. It's used an awful lot to be able to make sure that you're able to get a quick start out of the gate. And Honda actually trialed it in MotoGP with the Grassini team all the way back in 2013, 2012, 2013 with Alvaro Bautista. So the technology's been there, but being able to find a solution for it has been a big challenge for the teams because the goal with the with the whole shot device isn't just to be able to make a better start. It's also to be able to disengage it safely on the racetrack. You need to make sure that you're able to get the advantage off the start line, but that the rider can then immediately pitch out of it and have a safe bike for the rest of the race. And, and NASCAR, that's one of the key areas for the teams to learn how to disengage it. And that was one of the biggest challenges, really, with the whole shot device. Yeah, for example, the, the thing is that this whole shot device usually typically compress the, the suspension, whether it's the front, like uh, Honda used in the beginning, or Aprilia is working on that, or the rear, as Ducati. The idea is that you, you keep it compressed, even if the bike is uh, accelerating or still, to lower the center of gravity, and you disengage it, for example, when, you're gate, when you get to the braking, okay, to the braking zone. But there are some circuits where the turn one is super quick, okay? So you cannot brake hard in turn one, especially if you're starting from the back of the grid. So there, there, were, there have been some situations where the riders were not able to disengage the whole shot device until turn two or three, okay? So it's something that you need to think about, not only for performance, but also for safety, because the rider needs to be able to, to disengage it properly. And yeah, the tracks with a, f- a quick turn one, where if you start from the back, sometimes you don't even have, you don't even have to brake, because you have like 20 bikes in front of you. Uh, it's not easy. It's not nice to, to get in turn one and the device is not disengaged. Yeah, and it's interesting, NASCAR, as well, because the whole shot technology is on a real knife edge as well, because we see it at certain racetracks where turn one's a fast first corner, and it's very difficult sometimes for the rider to get the right load to be able to disengage the whole shot system. And I think one of the most famous examples of it was Jack Miller at Silverstone. Really fast turn one, cops at Silverstone, and you've got to really just barrel through that corner. And for Jack, he was starting at the front of the grid and it meant that there wasn't actually enough load whenever he got off the throttle to turn into turn one that it could actually disengage the system and just to illustrate how close it is between being able to use the system correctly and not it was a case of one row further back on the grid Davizioso could use the system and he had just that bit more top speed as he came into turn one bit more load whenever he got off the gas and the weight transferred to the front that he was able to use the system correctly so it does just show just how, how difficult it can be to design these systems and that's why it became really important for Ducati to be able to design a system that you could use on the track lap after lap during live sessions during a race and that's where you see the riders actually engage the system when they're exiting a corner during the race. And you mentioned it, Nazca, it's very difficult to actually see it, whether you're looking at the TV or even standing trackside. But when you look at photos, you can see that the rear end just squats down and it just gives that before, it gives that appearance almost like a drag racer on the exit of some corners. And it's that system that a lot of other manufacturers have been able to follow. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And one thing that, um, that I want to, to point is that all these innovations that we're talking about, of course, they have the goal to, to increase the performance of the bike. But many of them are meant to increase the stability of the bike, which is something super important because 
For the rider, it's important to have a stable bike. Not only for his feeling, okay? The, 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 the more stable you feel on the bike, the more relaxed you can be on the bike, the less mental energy you consume on the bike, but also the less tire wear you have. For example, one innovation that we see in the, in the recent years, I mean, it, it's already a lot of time we've seen it in MotoGP, but it's the seamless gearbox which is a super fast way to shift gears, okay? So the first one to introduce, is, to introduce it was Honda, then we saw Yamaha, Ducati, Suzuki, and the idea behind this is basically to have a faster gearbox, okay? And we're talking about one hundredth of a second between each gear shift. And the thing is that this system, if you think about a faster shifting, you may think about more acceleration, okay? Which is true, okay? The faster you can change gear, the faster you can accelerate. But this is not the main goal of this system. The main goal is to increase stability and to reduce tire wear and fuel consumption. And this is one thing that I noticed on myself when I was riding stock bikes, because I, I remember to all, I, all our listeners that I am an amateur, which I, I sometimes race, and... What I noticed when I put the camera, the onboard camera on my motorbike, is that every time I change gear on the straight, it's like something is kicking me on the butt, okay? And w w that kick becomes comes from the, the gear shift, because you have to disengage the gear and engage the next gear. The seamless gearbox, what, what, what does it do? When you upshift, for example, you are in third gear, it engages the fourth gear while you're still in third, okay? So there is a, a specific time where you have two gears engaged, and then at that point, it switches gear. And this allows the bike to be more stable on the straight. You don't see the, the, the rider being kicked, okay, by the gear, by the upshift. And that's something that increased a lot the tire, the, the, the reduced a lot the tire wear and the, um, and the fuel saving and also the stability as well. And it, it's something beautiful, really, to see at work. Yeah, and I think it's probably one of the biggest steps that we've seen made over the course of the last 10 years. It was the technology that Honda brought into MotoGP. And I remember talking to Jack Miller about this box whenever he first started using it. And it was really interesting to talk to him about going back to more of a production-based gearbox whenever he had to race in the Endurance Championship because suddenly he realized just how smooth the seamless shift gearbox was. And it was a real advantage, as you said, Nasca, in acceleration. But arguably the biggest step that most riders felt from it was in the braking zone as well. You could really hook back the gears, use the engine braking more efficiently. And it was a big advantage to lap time for them. And initially when Honda were the first and the only manufacturer with it, it was probably the biggest advantage that they had on their bike at any given time. So it really was a key technology that then everyone else had to follow. And KTM were interesting. When they came to MotoGP, there was never any discussion. It was just you had to have a seamless shift gearbox. It was one of those goalposts that had just been moved technologically and you needed to adapt to it. You needed to have the same technology as everyone else. Yeah, and this uh, the seamless gearbox is something that where you see the advantage not that much in the single lap, but in the long stints. So eventually, in 20 to 30 laps, you see the big difference. And... People so now are wondering why don't we see it in the stock bikes, in the street bikes? 
The reason why is that it's something super delicate. It's something that takes a lot of maintenance. They have to check it every race. And just to give a comparison, a traditional gearbox is made of 80 parts, while the seamless gearbox is made by more than 300 parts. So can you imagine how complex it is? Yeah, it's definitely a case of all of those extra parts, all that extra money. That's one of the key areas, like I said, where Honda focused their development. But it also meant that's where they focused their development budget as well. And very costly to be able to develop parts like that. Very costly to be able to try and bring that to MotoGP. But it shows the innovation that you get within the Grand Prix paddock. It shows that everyone has to react immediately to it. And I think that's what we've seen with all these technologies, whether it's the aerodynamics or whether it's the whole shot device, whether it's the SEMA shift gearbox. Once they're there, everyone else has to copy. You've got to make sure that you're able to have the exact same level of technology when you try and go racing in MotoGP. Yeah, of course. And one very important thing that we need to think about is that in motorsport classes where you can develop the vehicle, like in MotoGP, okay, where every team can present some new solutions, the teams must also be able to interpret the regulations to find some, some kind of backdoors, some kind of holes where they can put something new which is borderline, like, like the rear scoop, which was presented by Ducati, and everyone protested it because they, they said, okay, it's, it's, an aer- it's an aerodynamic part which is not allowed, so they, they have to take it off. But, but Ducati said it was meant to cool down the rear, which doesn't really make sense because they used it also in wet, and in wet condition you don't, re- you don't have cooling problems. And at that point, uh, they realized that it, it actually gives you an air advantage, but if you present it as a cooling down um, part, what can you say about that? Yeah, it was, it was an interesting one when Ducati brought it to the fore. It was 2019 in Qatar, and everyone protested it because they could see in their mind it was a clear aerodynamic device. Now, Ducati were able to successfully argue that it was designed and developed to help cool the rear tyre. So instead of it being an aerodynamic device, it was a safety device. And they were able to successfully get this part homologated onto their bike. And pretty much everyone followed immediately for it. And it's interesting when you talk to riders about it, when you talk to teams about it. Some teams say that they see an advantage from it. Other teams say, we don't see any advantage from it, but the rider likes it. You know, I, I, Sylvain Gintoli said that it's quite useful because it, it's, it's a case of it just gives you a little bit more feel on the rear. Maybe it's a case of for some riders, they get what they feel a slightly larger contact patch with that rear tyre. It gives them a, a little bit more load and it makes a little bit of a difference. And in MotoGP, all those little differences add up very quickly. And that's the, the big advantage that you can find from any of these parts that may not actually give anything on the data. But a bit like what we were talking about earlier on, depending on how the rider sits on a bike, depending on where their weight is, it's about so much more than just what a wind tunnel says. It's about what the rider feels and how they react on the bike. Yeah, and two of the things that you mentioned, which are safety and the rider, are going to be the, the topic of the next episode, where we're going to talk about the rider safety evolution. And if we've seen a huge evolution, a huge innovation in the motorbikes, we also seen a huge innovation on rider safety equipment. Yeah, and I think it's it's really interesting, Nasca, to look at all the different areas where we have innovation in MotoGP. And like you said, the safety side of racing, we're going to look at that next week. And that's going to be a really interesting area to, to dive into as well. There's an awful lot to talk about in that, just like there's been an awful lot to talk about in this show about aerodynamics, the gearboxes, and then also the whole shot devices. It does just show that there's constant 
evolution and innovation in MotoGP. And that's what we're trying to get behind with this podcast, where we're trying to dive a little bit deeper into some of those elements. So a big thank you from myself, Steve English, for everyone listening to this week's show. And Nasca, I'm really looking forward to talking to you next week about rider safety. Yeah, I'm really expert about rider safety because I just broke my ankle. (laughs) So I, I know a lot about it. So yeah, thanks for everyone for listening to us and see you next week. 